You're listening to Satellite Sisters. What's a Satellite Sister? The person you call when the best thing in your life happens or the worst. The person that gets you up, gets you going, and gets you through. And every once in a while, changes your mind. This podcast is part pep talk, part weekly check-in. Like grabbing coffee with a friend. Thanks for being here. Welcome to the Satellite Sisterhood. You're listening to Satellite Sisters. I'm Leanne Dolan. I'm a writer and producer. I live in Pasadena, California. I have two college-aged kids, a husband, a dog, and I'm here with my sister Julie Dolan today. Hi, Leanne. Yes, it's me, Julie Dolan. I live in Dallas, Texas. I'm a podcaster, an urban nana. I now have five grandchildren. (laughs) Amazing. Okay, and I've lived and worked all over the world, and I'm happy to be here with you. You may notice a voice missing today. Liz has a uh, speaking gig in Portland, Oregon, so she is not with us. But um, with us in spirit? I don't know. Can we say that? Sure. We can say that. Yes. Yes. We're going to do a little tribute to her. But I think, Leon, let's start with a moment of remembrance for 9-11. We are doing this podcast on 9-11-2018, but our thoughts certainly are with the victims and the families with the first responders then and now, many of whom, many of those first responders, Leanne, are dealing with long-term health problems from their exposure to the World Trade Center site, to the military, the military families who have sacrificed so much and have shouldered the burden of keeping us safe as they fight on in Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria. So we think of them all today, and we will not forget, and from our family to your family. Thank you so much. Very nice, Joel. You know, I'm always reminded, too, of our our original production team at WNYC because uh, it was a Tuesday morning like this on on September 11th. We were on a production call. Uh, Our offices were right down by the Trade Center. Liz was stuck in the subway. Our producer was stuck in a ferry. Another producer was trying to get over from Brooklyn. You know, we dialed in at at 10 a.m. Eastern time. And the towers fell right when we were on the call. And I remember our production staff that was there running out of the building because they were so close. So I always think of our team at WNYC today, too. They did some fantastic work after uh, after 9-11. So thinking of them today, too. All right. Good point. point. 9-11, this day, September 11th, also happens to be the birthday of our sister Liz. And so a big happy birthday to you, Sister Liz. And, you know, Leanne, I was thinking about Liz, um, and uh, I don't know that I've ever said this out loud, but she's an excellent sister. Do you know that? (laughs) I mean, she really crushes it as a sister. When you think of a sister, you know, Liz is pretty much everything you want in a sister. She's smart. She's funny. She's always up for an adventure. Uh, lots of times she instigates the adventures. Um, she's an excellent confidant. She's generous uh, beyond belief. She's kind. She has just totally nailed the sister thing, don't <laughs> you think? I haven't really thought about it. And just with a touch of fear, too. I, th- I would say, like, we're all slightly scared of her. So when she, you know, when she asks us to do something, we just get right on it. So it is a complete package, Julie. I, n- I never really thought about that. Also, Liz has a quality where um, she just doesn't care that much what other people think. And I... I- <laughs> 
<laughs> and and you admire that. No, so many I, traits that she has that are, are admirable. Right. So, and in the sense that like she's not she doesn't trade in gossip or fussiness or she doesn't right. overthink a lot of relationship things in an, in a very healthy, positive way. So it is her birthday today. So many nice um, sea turtles posted on her Facebook group, which is really cute to see. I'm sure Liz appreciated that. So she's she's speaking to a group of people, women in Portland, Oregon, and then celebrating her birthday with friends there. So that is excellent. All right, um, Julie, couple, one more promotion, too, for Liz, Safe for Work. Her episode, oh, yes. Her yes. episode has, this week. She's features... a great show, Safe yeah. for Work, where Liz gives advice, career advice. Um, but it's always in the spirit of having your best career, being your best self at work. And I just have to say, um, she she sent me a text that apparently she quoted me because I had provided her with some excellent advice about being a trailing spouse. For many years, I was a trailing spouse and lived abroad, uh, you know, as my husband progressed in his career. Uh, and apparently Liz quoted me on Safe for Work. I have not listened to the okay. podcast yet, but she said I'm good. It's good advice, Liam. <laughs> All right. Excellent. Uh, let's just preview what we're going to do today. It's me and Julie, but we still have a full show, you know, all the requisite topics we're going to talk about. Uh, we are going to talk about the U.S. Open fi- yeah. women's final. Uh, we're big tennis fans, a big Serena Williams fans, and no one saw that coming. Also, we mentioned on our Facebook group, we will be talking about do you track your kids? You responded to our question and our query. So we have some thoughts about using uh, the apps available to track your teenagers in particular. Um, another media titan goes down thanks to his terrible behavior. We're going to talk a I little know. bit. I know. It's perplexing, Leanne. I, I mean, it, I mean, it's disturbing and it's perplexing. And we're going to talk about that. I also am going to tell you, Leanne, that you're our only hope as the youngest sister to try to retire early. This is one of my Tuesday trends, okay? <laughs> You're actually too old to actually I am. qualify to, to retire early. But among the sisters, you're our only hope. So you have to get on fire, Leanne. That's what it's called. Uh, and I'm going to explain it uh, when we talk about Tuesday trends. All right. Later on in the show, we're going to announce our new Satellite Sisters book club pick. It's a very moving memoir. Uh, I think will resonate with um, people in this community. So stay tuned for that. And then we have a couple of other entertaining sisters recommendations. Um, but first, Julie, just a shout out. I'd like to I'd like to own just a tiny part of um, of the success of the word hangry. All right. Remember, <laughs> right. Now... I think I, the first time I ever heard that term was right here at Satellite Sisters. Right. Yeah. It, it has now officially been placed into the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, along with 839 other words. But hangry, a combination of hungry and angry, uh, is now officially a word. And many people credit Sheila Dolan, our sister Sheila Dolan, with coining the word. She right. did not coin it, but yeah. the second... Her, we saw it. We knew it applied to Sheila. Because right, exactly. <laughs> she she embodied hangry. Hangry. I mean, yeah. You'd have you just have to trust us. Like when you're with Sheila and she hasn't had enough food and her her blood sugar dips, things happen. Okay, she is not. She becomes some other person. Yeah. So technically, I mean, she can be fine at six ten, and then by six thirteen, she's hangry. She's screaming at the waitresses. <laughs> Things have completely deteriorated. So even though Sheila did not coin the word hangry, I feel like she popularized it on our radio show, and now Merriam-Webster has honored her by putting hangry in the dictionary. So congratulations, hangry. <laughs> okay, that's a fine word. That's a fine word, Leanne. 
Ian, I have to say this, I'm still recovering from this weekend. You know, I'm, uh, I'm a big tennis fan. You're a tennis fan. Uh, I, pl- I, I attempt to play tennis. I love all things tennis. So I don't think there was any, well, I was one of those super excited people. I was very excited for Saturday for the women's U S open finals, you know, and I really thought it was going to be a, you know, a great af- afternoon. I, you know, I look forward to watching Serena win the match and get another Grand Slam title. Yeah. I mean, my, you know, I, we talked about it last week. My admiration for her as a player, as a sports icon, has grown so much this year as she has opened up about her pregnancy, childbirth, and being a mother. I was looking forward to the big win in the big 2 2. Uh, but that didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, did you see the match, Liam? No, I did not see it. I was at a wedding. So uh, I was at a wedding all day Saturday. So I didn't see it live. I got a text from you that just says, crying for both Serena and Naomi, followed yeah. by Liz, me too, sad. And I was like, yeah. uh-oh, what happened? But it was I was actually in the middle of a wedding, so I didn't want to have to Google it. But then uh, I came back and saw all the stories. So, Julie, what, what did happen in the moment? Because I didn't even want to go watch it afterwards because I now I already had all these preconceived notions. So as it was unfolding, what, as what it were was you unfolding, thinking? Well, the first thing you should know, it was a – the first thing you should know, and I want to stipulate this – before we talk is, you know, that I, I, I agree with Serena that there is, you know, probably widespread, you know, sexism in the sport. There are things to fight for, for equality. Okay. But I want to talk about the match and what yeah. happened on Saturday. Yeah. Okay. And first of all, it was a match, Leanne, a young Naomi Osaka. She's 20 years old. Uh, she's the first Japanese player to make a, a U.S. Open final. OK, she's she's half ha- Haitian, half Japanese. She brought her a game, Leanne. She, she was, was playing great all week. Great. All she week. was she was she was beating Serena. She mm-hmm. had a bigger serve, bigger returns. And and Serena was not playing her best. That's that's not for me. That's what the commentators were saying. She was only getting 36% of her first serve in, okay, which in tennis terms is really low. Right. Because that is what you want to do. You want to get that big first serve in. You want to score the points. So Naomi was crushing it. She had just great shots. It was it – was, and she was cool as a cucumber. She really wasn't showing emotion. And Serena was – you know, again, very flat-footed, very back-footed with a lot of her shots. Mm-hmm. She was missing her serve, double-faulting a lot. She lost the first set 6-2. At the start of the second set, uh, uh, so it didn't go well. Re- it really didn't go well for Serena in that first set. At the beginning of the second set, the umpire called Serena's coach for coaching. Mm-hmm. You know, her coach, yeah. Patrick, was sitting in the box. And there you can watch. The, I'm sure you've seen the video replay. He used his hands. He made a large hand gesture to, to sort of telling Serena, you got to go to the net. You got to go to the net. Mm-hmm. Um, the coach, this was well within the umpire's right to call this coaching. The coach later admit, yes, he was coaching. Um, it was an, it was not, it's an unusual call. Okay. It was an unusual call in a final, but it's not on, you know, was not that unusual for this particular umpire who had a, a long reputation as being very strict rule oriented. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's at this point that Serena 
I think, made a big... This is after really, after a sleepless night on Saturday, Sunday. I'm still obsessed by it. This is where I think Serena really made a choice. No one was accusing Serena of cheating. They were just saying, your coach was coaching. You got to tell him to stop it, okay? Right. The players are held do- responsible for that. They yes, lose the she point. Did- Exactly. Yeah. According to exactly. the rules. Right. The players are held responsible. And she could have easily have told her box to cool it. She could have said, stop it. She could have told her box, everyone in her box to leave. She had a lot of options to do that. She didn't do that. Yeah. She, that's when she went, she decided it was about her. She decided that it was, you know, that the, the umpire was accusing her of cheating and that she had never cheated in her life. And that I, which I probably, which I believe, and that, you know, that this, you know, this was an out, a personal attack on her. And that's not what the umpire said. Many people believe the umpire should not have made that call, that perhaps he should have given her a warning, like just said, Hey, uh, you better tell your box to stop coaching, you know, just like verbally. But there's no guarantee that even if the, Carla, you know, um, the the umpire had done that, had given her just a verbal warning, that it would that she wouldn't have had the same reaction. But I think at that moment she decided that she was going to just disrupt the whole match. She had she wanted to change the tenor of the match. They move on in the second set, Lee, and she lost her serve at three right. one. And that's when she broke her racket. She yeah. took her racket, she threw it down and uh, demolished it, okay? Right. Because out of frustration. Uh, this, you know, this happens to tennis players, right. but given that she had already had a code violation, yeah. it was an automatic. The umpire had no choice but to assess her one point. Yeah. And that, that's when she, you know, when Serena just would not get, uh, would not move on from this. She just, she escalated it on every changeover. She was, she was po- pointing at the umpire. She was really upset and she would not let, she would not or could not let it go. Mm-hmm. And then she called the umpire a thief. Now, uh, people are, are making a lot out of, well, she didn't really use any profanity. I've heard, you know, other players, you know, uh, sort of swear up and down. Uh, but she did, she did impugn the uh, character of the umpire. And again, the umpire, when you do that, the umpire doesn't have much choice but to assess a game because that's the third penalty, which is an extremely rare penalty. Right. I mean, I was going to so, say, he, he actually does have a choice. They always have a choice. I mean, in every sport, the umpire makes an active choice. Very. Uh, yeah. I mean, he, you know, you, what you don't want in any sport in any final is for the referee to decide the winner. Exactly. You, know, you see you see that in basketball, the NBA finals, the last 10 minutes of the game, the umpire, you know, the ref just lets him play. You see it in the World Cup where things may be, you know, very tense. They don't, don't give PKs, you know, easily in the first few minutes or the last few minutes of a title game because, again, you don't want the referee to – you don't want the referee to decide the match. So – Feels but like I think she made a choice yeah. to like burn the place down. Well, it that's was in her line choice. with her. She's a passionate. She's a passionate player. She's done that before. You know, that's always been the critique of Serena Williams is that she is really her own worst opponent. Like in right. years when no one could even touch her on the tour, the matches she lost, the finals she lost were usually when she lost it. So, uh, right. so you know, the combination of 
being outplayed and then this she's a passionate but see, player. that's what i mean i think she, she this is to me okay so i was crying for Rena, uh, serena i was really screaming at my tv set saying don't do it serena don't i know do it i was so upset but i she also she was changing the momentum of the match by this disruption mm-hmm. her disruption was you know it was an a- attempt to get into change the direction and the momentum because all of the momentum was with Naomi. And, and I think that is, you know, she robbed Naomi of the joy and most importantly, the honor of winning her first grand slam title. As you, you know, by the time they got to the awards ceremony, you know, uh, Serena made a beautiful comment up there. She said, no more booing, but Poor Naomi was actually apologized for winning the Grand Slam, for winning the U.S. Open. Uh, So I and I just and I have to put a lot of that responsibility on Serena. Um, Mary Carrillo, longtime excellent tennis uh, commentator. She said, you know, Serena Williams is the greatest player of all times, but she also can be a terrible bully. And I think that's what she was on Saturday. She was really trying to bully this umpire. I think it's a double whammy in tennis, too, because it has the history of being a genteel sport. So like and they're out there all by themselves. Everyone is staring at them. Again, every other sport, people are screaming at the refs and the umps all the time. If you're in a team sport, you you get an opportunity to sound off on the refs when they make a call. I mean, and and you don't get penalized for that unless it's really bad. You know, whereas tennis, it, it is you cringe when you see players stick up for themselves for a bad call or this or that. But on the other hand, we applaud them for being passionate, and they can't necessarily always turn that off. And they may be their right. own worst enemy. No, so. I, I agree with that, Leon. But, uh, you know, an amateur player, as an amateur player and certainly as a professional player, you're going to run into bad calls. Right. And you have to decide whether you're going to let it into the match or not. You know, and she she made that choice. That's that's what I you know, she made that choice there. So um, and that and so it's just unfortunate. It's it's I mean, I'm still I still can't I'm still trying to figure out why, you know, why did was it just because she was losing the match and she wanted to change the momentum? Was it as she says, she was fighting for women's rights, you know. You know, was or was it all of those things at the same time? Well, I think there was a little bit of that. You know, it it seems like the first call was a harsh call. Like the umpire has had within his right to just give her a warning. And and that, I think, would have been a very different situation. Once you start. Well, I mean, it was in a sense a warning. And it was the only reason it all got escalated is because she broke the racket. Yeah. I mean, that's that's if she hadn't broken her racket. Then, you know, uh, you know, as it turns out at the U.S. Open 2018, 86 code violations were assessed to men. 22 uh, code violations were assessed to women. Oh, some facts. So, Got some facts uh, on the table. I, br- I brought some facts, Lee, and I've gone deep on this topic. So I know. Oh. You have truly been truly upset and truly up all night trying to figure out what this is. So what yeah. what really happened? So I, don't, I, don't, I still don't know because obviously, you know, I, she is still the greatest player of all times. Yeah. Maybe this was not her greatest day. And and I just, um, my heart is still broken for Naomi that she can never get back that moment because uh, she, play, she played brilliantly. Yeah. So 
Yeah, she'll never have that freedom again either to no. play like that with no no weight on her shoulders. So right. that is too bad. Uh, that is too bad. Well, it you know it's it, it's interesting to me. It'll it'll be interesting to see what shakes out of this. I mean, a lot of other things have shaken out, but you see people like Martina Navratilova and and Billie Jean King speaking out. And maybe there's going to be a reassessment of just the coaching in general. Because I would say right. generally generationally generationally. Uh, <laughs> okay, it's satellite sister sports, but. You know, I don't remember players like McEnroe and Navratilova looking in the coach's box. I don't even remember coaches being there. So now it's just absolutely. I mean, and Serena says she never, she never relies on her coach during a match. That I totally believe too. Yeah. Yeah. Like come to net. Well, duh. Like Serena Williams doesn't know that. (laughs) I mean, she knows how to win. So I think it's just that in general, they look at their box all the time now. And that's different than it used to be. You know, that's an, yeah, that's I, I a mean, good so I think they have to accommodate for sort of the team. Now there's entire teams in boxes and there's this person and that person. And and that's very different than it used to be. It used to be just like John McEnroe's parents. You know, I mean, remember right. C- P- Pete Sanders's parents didn't come to a single match. <laughs> they know. never came. They couldn't stand to and watch poor him Naomi person. Osaka's father can't watch her matches. Yeah. He was just out walking around. That's Yeah, that's that would be me. Said. That would be me. I would believe that. So so anyway, well, Julie, you did an excellent analysis. Yeah, I was. Okay. We were all psyched to watch it, but you guys spoiled it for us by texting me. <laughs> and then when the controversy happened, I'm like. Yeah, I really you think I never, need to watch I couldn't that even match. watch the men's finals. <laughs> and I, like, I, I just all the emotion was sucked out, Liam. So. All right. Well, excellent analysis. I know you really worked hard on that. You've really been thinking about it. So uh, thank you for that. Okay, coming up, we're going to talk about tracking your kids. Uh, but first, we want to thank a couple of sponsors here at Satellite Sisters. We. All right, we're back, uh, Jewel. We want to talk about tracking your kids. Yes. <laughs> okay. uh, sign me up, Liam. I know. I know. If my kids were teenagers, I'd be the front of the line for this. I okay. know. I know. I think. I think. Well, here, the we were tipped off by a story in the New York Times, um, and it was in the parenting section about, like, tracking your kids. And now, Julie, there are so many more tools now than when you... <laughs> Than when and you were busy general tracking surveillance, like just following them in a car. They have something better than that. Hiding in the bushes. You can't do that now. You, you can still you can still do that. Rummaging through their room. You can't do that. Listening in on their phone calls on, when the phone is in the kitchen on the wall. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So those are all tools that you used. Not very successfully, I might add. No, <laughs> not your, at all. Not so at all. Your sons managed to evade you. <laughs> at all times. But, uh, you know, uh, so this article caught my eye because it was pretty straightforward about like, uh, you know, hey, it, it wasn't judgy is what I would say. Like, hey, if you want to if you want to track your kids and there are many reasons my, why you might want to, here's some tools and maybe here are some parameters for doing it. Um, but according to research in this New York Times article, uh, the Pew Research Poll, 16 percent of parents track their 13 to 17 year olds. I actually thought that number was low. I feel, yeah. I, I feel think I, that not everyone's admitting to doing it. Yes. Possibly. Yes. Yeah. Or, you know, the other thing is we take for granted that everyone has a smartphone and not everyone has a smartphone. So if you don't have a smartphone or your kids don't have a smartphone, uh, then then you wouldn't really be able to use all the t- tools that are now available to you. But the New York Times talked to psychologists and they said, listen, you know, uh, 
your kids, knowing that you're tracking them, it keeps the leash on a little bit longer. Maybe they get the feeling that they can't do anything without turning to you or talking to you or consulting you, and that may hurt them in the long run. But there are plenty of reasons why you might want to keep an eye on them. They mentioned health reasons, for instance, is something. They said, you know, listen, maybe it's just high school, and then when they go off to college, you let them go and you let them do their thing. So I thought it was pretty reasonable. Like, it actually got me thinking because I did not track my sons. uh, And Did uh, did some of your friends track track their sons or friends of your sons so that— You, you, they'd provide you with that information. Yeah. You I really mean, only need one in the cell to, uh, to track <laughs> when you think about it, Leanne. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good I'm point. Kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but but uh, I learned from the Satellite Sisterhood that there are a lot of other tools out there. Like, I, I just thought it was find my phone. I, I, you know, I thought texting in, hey, where are you going? What's happening? Was enough. And right. for me, it was enough. You know, uh, was I worried when they took the car out? Yes. Did we have rules that I enforced? Yes. Like, please text me when you're leaving a place. You have a really hard and fast curfew. Here you go. They didn't have any health needs. They had actually never given me any reason not to trust them. So I decided right. to makes trust a, them. That makes a big but that yeah. would make a big difference, too. If you've had issues in the past with drugs or alcohol or other reasons you need to, you know, you're concerned about your children, I totally get that. So what I liked when we surveyed the Satellite Sisterhood, and what, what's your feeling? Do you think you would literally track now, Julie, if you had, if you No, I, I think it would have to be just as many people uh, in the article and on the, in the Satellite Sisterhood said it would depend on the circumstances. I mean, and I talked about this with my husband, who I thought for sure would want to track uh, teenagers. And he said, yeah. no, no, not at all. Um, because he, you know, he really believes that, you know, we, you should trust them. You should build it. You should build your relationship on, you know, the human factors of trust and caring and not on technology. And then he also worries about big brother. He said, if you're tracking your child, so, so is some other entity has the ability to track your child. So he worried about that. Um, Oh. And of course, he so, would. yeah, yeah, of course, he worried about things like that. Yeah, because um, he has a, a sort of the shady background. Yes. Uh, <laughs> or at least members of our family thinks that he that he has a sec, you know, that he's a spy because he's worked in some strange places. OK, um, so, OK, but that's what he he worried that, like, if you're tracking your child, so so is somebody else. And uh, do you want to give that information to someone else? Now, and I, had to, I think go, ideally, yes, you want your relationship with your teenager based on trust and communication. And that's all true. But sometimes that all breaks down. Your teenager is not talking to you. They right. are like out and out lying to you, you know, and, and you have reason not to trust them and you have reason to worry about them. And, you know, it is your job and your responsibility to care for them and to help them make good decisions. So I, you know, I think I totally empathize with parents, you know, who maybe have had kids who have given them cause, you right. know, that have, that have really tested the limit, really tried to find out the boundaries. But, I, you know, ultimately technology, maybe it will keep them a little safer. But, you know, you ha- you have to have that human relationship. You have to keep working on that. Right. And a phone doesn't solve that. I did have to ask myself the question, too, would I have tracked girls? Yes. Because you and I both have boys. Yeah. So 
I and I feel like I would have tracked girls in the sense like a lot of our uh, listeners use an app called Life 360. Seems yeah. very popular for connecting it or just find my phone. So they're not actively looking at what their kids are doing every day. Although the Life 360 people <laughs> seem to be. You get texts or whatever. You get notified like so-and-so's left campus, which, whoa, that was a lot. But I can see find my phone like if you had a daughter. I, right. I, I think I would absolutely just say, let's, let's, let's do find my phone. If something goes wonky, I just want to know where you are. Right. Or, you know, Sue uh, on our Facebook group wrote that, you know, she had a brand new driver. She And she really, she felt, uh, you know, and let's face it, teenagers, they're behind the wheel. As I've said this for many years, right. Leanne, but they still, they don't know how to drive. No. And so it, you know, this provides an extra layer of security and safety. So I can under, I can totally understand that. Or Cindy and Aaron, who said that this is an important way if your family is all over the place, you know, and God forbid, here we are, we're living in a post 9-11 uh, time that if you needed to be able to communicate with your family over because of an emergency, you know, right. uh, a weather event, an earthquake, or, you know, uh, you know, God forbid, another terrorist attack, that having having this connection would be very helpful. Now, I liked some straightforward answers. Gail, she said, it's my phone. I'd like to know where it's at. If they don't want me, <laughs> if they don't want me to track them. That's solid, Gail. I can... think that's a solid, solid rationale. Yeah. And that's one that both parent and teen can understand, yeah. right? If they, if they don't want me to track them, they get their own phone. All right, Gail. And then who was the one? Helinda said, if NORAD for young adults had been available... When my 20-something daughter went to Israel, I would have jumped on it. Uh, they, they, they stay connected with WhatsApp and Facebook. But we had other people that say no, that no. Christine said if there's trust, there's no reason to track. Beth right. said she doesn't track her daughters, 18 and 20. Sometimes she doesn't really want to know where they are. So good right. point. So I know that ignorance is bliss, yeah. you know, and that – and. You know, that has some merit too, Leanne. It you does. Know, right? It does. <laughs> I think why this article appealed to me was I recently had a friend of mine, an acquaintance, say, um, question like why her 20-year-old college son was out at 3.30 in the morning. And I was like, well, why do you know that? And she's like, well, I have five yeah. my phone and I look where he is every single night. I was like, what? Like, I, she, he's in college on the other side of the country, an Ivy League school, by the way. So, you know, you would think maybe he'd somewhere along the way develop some judgment. I was like, don't look at that. Don't, he's in college. Take, don't look at it. Just, it's one yeah, thing to have really it. Less, it's another thing to not look at. in that situation. Yeah. You, yeah, you really don't, don't need to know. But, right. Okay. But, and then Barb was adamant. No, no, and no. Trust is one of the most important things you can give your kids. When they leave home, they will always remember that you trust them to make good choices and appreciate that you gave them the freedom to make mistakes without constant monitoring. Monitoring independence is a process that wouldn't be successful with constant monitoring. So I can totally see. And then we had some maybes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Martha said, you know, extenuating circumstances. I get it. And when I text them, I want to reply fairly quickly. So okay. So so she's tracking via text. Right. Okay. Maybe she's not using another app. Yeah. But there. I mean, I think all parents want to have a reasonable amount of communication to know where their teenagers are, where they're going, who they're hanging out with. I totally understand the parents who said 
you know, my, you know, my kids had medical things. You right. know, one was a diabetic. Uh, another woman wrote and said her daughters had had mental health issues. And she really felt like this was, an, again, another layer of safety for her family. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then uh, finally, Lori, uh, and I like this idea, and I think this is a great idea. Um, she said her daughter is a senior in college, and she's been roommates with two other young ladies since freshman year. And they agreed to track each other for purposes, from safety on a date to where are you and why aren't you home for dinner. Both parents had nothing to do with this decision. So that's a good idea. Having college friends track each other, again, particularly women. Okay. So I can see that. Like, I, I think that would be a good idea. All right. So thank you for answering that question. There's no definitive answer. I guess families work it out uh, in whatever way they want to, want to. But I learned that there are so many more tracking devices out there. <laughs> How do you... I know. I'm an idiot. All right, just even keep know. in mind. Keep in mind that if you're tracking them, somebody else has that information Thank too. You. That's just <laughs> and also just, also just, keep in mind. You know what? They can just leave the phone somewhere. <laughs> yes, of course they yes. can. Leanne. I mean, I, I do think that that whatever tracking right. app you come up with, they're smarter than we are, and they're going to figure out a way to block, circumvent. You know, if they really, you know. If they're motivated to be somewhere you don't want them to be, they'll work around it. Well, I'm never doing uh, anything again because last night I got completely busted for looking at my son's girlfriend's Instagram story. Oh, Leanne. I didn't know that she knew I was looking at them. (laughs) Leanne. He's like, so you've been seeing any good Instagram stories lately? I was like, oh, my gosh. How does she know? I don't follow her. I guess it pops up. So I just, yeah, busted. All right. As I explained to him, I go, I was really just looking for pictures of you, not pictures of her. (laughs) Sure, Leanne. Sure. It's true. It's totally true. All right, Jill, we have to move on now to Les Moonves. I know. Les CEO of CBS. Yeah. Who, after now 12 women have come forward to make allegations of sexual harassment, sexual assault, uh, and and also um, really going after these women if they uh, declined his sexual advances. I mean, th- that six months ago, six women had come forward. This is another story from The New Yorker. Rowan Farrow is uh, the writer who has been behind this. And this, you know, he outlines allegations of sexual uh, misconduct conduct while he was at CBS between 1985 and 2000. Uh, so he has he has resigned, uh, and um, as of now, it's not it's not clear what the size of his exit package is. You know, at one estimate, he's already earned a billion dollars working right. for CBS, but that will be determined after a number of outside law firms complete their work uh, regarding the investigations into the allegations of this misconduct. Uh, CBS has already uh, dis- announced that they're going to donate $20 million to Me Too groups. Uh, but clearly, Les Moonves is the most prominent, most powerful television executive uh, to be forced to step down um, because of sexual harassment and sexual um, abuse allegations. And what, you know, Liam, when I saw this, 
what I didn't understand is he said CBS. Now, CBS was the sta- same station, same network where Charlie Rose was, mm-hmm. you know, the, the great, uh, you know, who was who has already stepped down because of sexual allegations and abuse. And I'm wondering what was going on in Les Moonves's head as he's firing uh, Charlie Rose for, you know, for his sexual allegations. Did he think he, you know, that they were going to find out about him? Did they think, you know, he, did he think he was a, but, you know, that, oh, well, this happened to Charlie Rose, but it could never happen to me? What What do you think was going on? I, I think he must have. I think part of this whole thing is just tremendous ego. And to me, this is what separates these big media executives and other people, you know, we've seen CEOs go down, is they, one, they think they're going to get away with it. And two, they think they deserve, you know, whatever it is that they're asking of the women. And three, they're really retaliatory. I mean, this is not just, I said the wrong thing in the meeting. So if I hear one more person, like, make that comment, like, oh, you can't say anything anymore. I mean, if you read the New Yorker, the Ronan Farrow stories, particularly the latest one, it is so specific. These women have yeah. very specific memories of really terrible behavior. You of know assault. that These I, are, it, this is assault right. in the workplace in his office. He just attacked these women and, yeah. and a pattern like the one after the other. It's the same thing. Would you like some wine here? I'm going to take my pants off. And I mean, it's just unbelievable. So I just think the ego that drives that behavior also drives the I'm never going to get caught behavior. Like, yeah, Julie, why would he not just quietly retire from CBS? I know. Like, I mean, oh, boy, I better get out before things get rough. Uh, you know, unless in his mind he's completely turned, you know, he's saying these were all consensual. And these women remember details that you like, oh, his breast smelled like coffee. It was terrible. Like, like from 25 years ago, it's a right. sign to me uh, that this stuff really stayed with them. Like it wasn't this consensual woohoo thing. No, it wasn't. So I think the ego that drives the behavior also drives the denial is all okay. I can guess, you know. Because this seems uh, like a no-brainer. Take your billion dollars. Retire is the most important. Uh, you know, I think he is the most powerful media executive, not just right. television, you know, yeah. and uh, and and get out. So. Uh, don't, and don't come back <laughs> don't, either. Don't, yeah. Don't come back. Okay. That's all I have to say. I know. I, I got mean, nothing more. Despicable. Yeah. I mean, and 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 if you're like Les Moonves, you know, <laughs> right. if you've got a whole closet right. of stuff, just... Just really come out now. All right. Just save us. Save that. So, yeah, because right, it Leanne, is true well, it that is the Tuesday, second. And I, I, I've got to move on to this yep. trend because uh, I'm kind of excited about it. But at the same time, I'm a little skeptical and bitter about it. Okay. Leanne, here's my question for you. Yeah. Are you on fire? <laughs> Have you heard of this fire? Some days in the month. Yeah, I'm on fire. What? <laughs> what? No, what? Not, not that. <laughs> okay. No, what? Not that kind of fire. What? This is. By fire, financial okay. independence, retire early. Okay? Oh. This, uh, this is there are this is a whole new following, okay? These are millennials, okay, yeah. that want to create the want to take control of their own agency land. That's what they want to do. That's that's the word that they're using. Agency. They want to gain control of their time, they want to reduce the stress in their life. That, you know, and so they this is a whole online thing to get on fire. And what these, these <laughs> followers of fire tend to be male. They yeah. tend to work in the tech industry. 
they tend to be the kind of people with the, you know, that have the the right brain, left brain balance that would get really excited about calculating the compound interest um, of, of an item over mm-hmm. 40 years. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, they are the kinds of people that spend a lot of time online reading blogs, looking at these websites where you get to hack your finances, Leon, where you learn to <laughs> increase your savings, you figure out cheap travel, you know, you save at the grocery store. You know, they, they have, you know, these, these are young guys. They're like 35, mm. 40 years old. Some of them have families and that by extreme savings, that's all I can describe it. I mean, I, they are like, they are doing all their own home repairs. They do all their own um, car repairs. Uh, um, and uh, it doesn't sound like they eat, eat they, tr- they try to consume as little as possible. And that's part of the ethos too that they believe they want to reduce the amount of consumption. They think that's better for the environment they, and the planet. They, want to, they really want to get into simple living. But in the meantime, they're stockpiling their salaries. <laughs> uh, they're putting it in, you know, you know, and saving it so that they can retire at 43, wow. be all done. So are these people who are already making a ton of money and then they're doing no, these no, other no, things? No, 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 these so, are well, like okay, they profiled, they profiled a, a computer uh, scientist guy, uh, no, computer programmer who was making $110,000. Okay. Well, that's a very good salary. But very not a zillion. Good. It's not a zillion dollars. It is not a right. zillion dollars. But he hacked his finances. He hacked them. So he, yeah. He, Hack away. He, <laughs> he saved everything. He managed to save everything. And in a five-year uh, time frame, he had amassed about a million dollars in savings. Now, he has benefited by a very strong stock market right. and invested in that, uh, but he had up to a million dollars in savings, and he decided uh, he just could not he could not deal with the stress of, of the job anymore, and he quit his job. He, he and his wife and their two children, two girls, they are planning to live on a $40,000 a year, you know, a little nest egg. That's what mm-hmm. they expect to live on every year. Some of these on fire people in, they also, um, they also take part-time jobs at Starbucks in particular, oh, because Starbucks health provides yeah. health insurance exactly for yeah. the part-time workers. So they're, but they want to just check out early and they do that through extreme savings through by really lowering their consumption and simplifying their living. Now, you're going to be, you know, first of all, you're not an ideal candidate, Liam, because, because you're too old. No too one. Old. Uh, I don't think you know anything about computer programming. No. Um, uh, but the other thing is you live in California. You live in a very high-priced area. Yes. Yeah. So what a lot of these people have done is they, you know, they've, you know, they've had to sell their fancy house in California. They moved to a lower cost of living spot. Well, in one case, they uh, profiled a couple couple that moved to Bend, Oregon. How about mm. that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. I. Yeah. Great. But you got to, you know, you got to turn in those leased car, leased BMWs. You know, you just got to get back to basics. But but the return on it is that you, you know. You get a life, a very different kind of lifestyle where you're in control of your time and of your agency, of how much you work and where you go. And a lot of people find that satisfying. Well, I can, you know, there's a lot to like about that. Lowering, I mean, you know, we all buy too much stuff. 
probably. Yeah. Although I did enjoy my Rothies that arrived this week. So <laughs> yes, I know <laughs> my new fall and color. You, I mean, I you got to take your Harry's razor with yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, okay, so when, you, when you're on fire, I agree with that. <laughs> um, I mean, they were saying they said in this article they were saving money when they go to Costco. Costco for me is my big budget buster. Yeah. And every time I walk into that <laughs> store, I come out with like a giant cart of. Like, I don't know, with yard furniture, like, yeah, you know, jalapeno artichoke, <laughs> artichoke dip, right? Yeah. So, do they? Do, how do you how do you pay for your kids' college? Uh, no, that, okay. Well, again, so, you have so they're they're okay. They, they're, I mean, because that's just their a education too, land big chunk of money. That's a big chunk of money. I mean, I guess if you go to a state school and they get yeah. jobs and everything, you you yeah. can work that. But they it does have some parameters. Hey, yeah. Jewel, I'm not on fire, but I applaud these people. Okay, <laughs> good for them. I mean, what's the point? I, I I speak to my husband about like when he retires and he looks at me and goes, oh, I'm never retiring. Like he is literally never retiring. So I think that would be good. Yeah, they did. They did profile one person in this story who uh, who, who went on fire and quit his job. And after two years, he couldn't stand it. Yeah. and went back to work. Yeah, that was not that was not for him. Right. So I feel like I'm spending some retirement money now. You know, that's yeah. if he's never going to retire. OK, I will go to Europe by myself. See ya. So, OK, so, you're okay. hacking it, Leanne. I'm hacking it. I'm doing reverse hacking, reverse hacking. I'm rehacking. Whew. Oh, it's exciting. Julie, entertaining sisters. But we get to announce the uh, the book club pick. Our next oh, book club what's pick. our new pick, Leanne? You know, we've really been working hard. I actually did read a lot of books over the summer. We tried to get a few people. We've been moving stuff in and around. But I think we've picked a really wonderful book, and you have time to read it. We're going to talk to the author at the end of October. This book is called If You Love Me by Maureen Cavanaugh. Now, you know our Satellite Sisters book club, we try to go with memoir, biography, or autobiographies by or about women. Sometimes we speak to famous women. Maureen Cavanaugh is not a famous woman. She is a mom. She is a mom who has told an emotionally fraught trail, tale about her daughter, and her battle with opioid addiction. Oh, I tell dear. you, Julie, this book blew me away. I, I mean, blew me away. I, it was it's chilling to read. It was emotional. It was honest. Uh, it is uh, eye-opening. I mean, every day you read about the opioid crisis in the every paper. Day. Every day the numbers are staggering. I know that we have people in the Satellite Sisterhood who have been through this with their own family members. So when this book came through the door, I was like, you know, I'll just sit down with this. It was August. I'll, I'll see what this is like. I could not put the book down because it was so emotionally absorbing. So I want to encourage you to pick up If You Love Me by Maureen Cavanaugh. It's on Kindle, the audiobook, uh, hardback or paperback. We'll put all the information at SatelliteSisters.com. I'll still post at the Facebook group, too, so you have it. You have plenty of time to read it. I think it's going to give you a lot of insight into what it's really like to be in a family where opioid addiction has taken hold. So yeah. this uh, writer, this mom, became an accidental advocate. Her daughter was, um, you know, her, her is daughter. Is her daughter still alive, Leanne? As of now, yes. Yeah. Her daughter yeah. has, has been sober, but uh, but in and out of rehabs, all kinds of things. Uh, yeah. And, you know, 
again, just a normal high school girl from Massachusetts. And the mom ended up seeing a skit on Saturday Night Live about opioid addiction where it made fun of it. And she just couldn't take it. She wrote a Facebook post. It was the first time she had really gone public. And the post went viral. And because of that, she became sort of the the face of a mother of an opioid uh, addict. And yeah. so uh, and since then, she's become an advocate herself. So it's a wonderful book, though, If You Love Me by Maureen Cavanaugh. We'll be speaking to Maureen at the end of October. So that's our book club pick. That's a good one, Leanne. I'm looking forward to reading that. That's just important reading. For it is. Everything. It's important yep. reading. Yep. 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 Uh, I have some less important reading that I want to recommend, <laughs> Leanne, but um, but you but you might be curious about this. Uh, it was a book club pick for my personal uh, book club. Uh, people were curious, and we decided we were going to read it. And we read the new novel by uh, Bill Clinton and James Patterson called "The President Is Missing." As you were aware, he's been out on a book tour. <laughs> President Clinton wrote a book with yeah, those James are two Patterson. people that need more money. So I'm glad oh. I'm glad you bought their book. Okay. okay. How okay. how was it? I can't believe okay, you fell well, for that. First first of all, have you ever read any of James Patterson? Yeah, I you know, I've read a couple, you know, picked yeah, them up he, in the so airport. He writes right. action. He yeah. writes action stories, yeah. you know. It's like a Tom Clancy. If you like Tom Clancy, you probably would like a James Patterson book. Yeah. Okay. I am not going to tell you anything about the plot or okay. anything like that, but I am going to tell you two things about this book written by President Bill Clinton and James Patterson. <laughs> Number one, uh, the fictitious, fictitious, fictitious president in the book, President yeah. Duncan. Uh, maybe it's not surprising to you. He is the smartest person in the book. Okay. <laughs> so not surprised about that. Number one. And number two, President Duncan's wife is dead. Okay. She died a year ago of cancer. <laughs> So it's so much easier when you just, you know, kill, kill off, off the, the wife. Yes. I, they can be. I just I just laughed out loud. When I, read, I mean, <laughs> they were trying to make it all sad and tragic that the wife that the first lady was dead. I was like, oh, that's convenient. <laughs> President Duncan. OK, that's all I'm telling you about the book. Read it. At, uh, read it. Uh, read it if you want. Read the reviews before you purchase the book. Uh, but I'm just. I'm just providing some book news. Excellent. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Second re is more of a recommendation, and I'm in the middle of it. Maybe perhaps, maybe some of you have watched this as well. This is the TV miniseries called Yellowstone. Mm, uh, yes. It, uh, this is with starring Kevin Costner, okay? And it follows the Dutton family, which controls the largest contiguous ranch in the United States, but now is under attack by land developers. There's a, there's a whole Indian reservation uh, subplot as well. Uh, apparently, this was the most watched cable TV series of the summer. It is written and directed by one of my favorite writers and directors, Taylor Sheridan. He um, he wrote Sicario and one of my all-time favorite movies, Hell or High Water. He also did the movie Wind River, which I uh, liked a lot. Unbelievable! Uh, That's so, a great movie. Yes, which he was born. He's born in Waco, Texas, but he loves to write and do films about the American West. 
maybe not always in a positive light, sometimes the dark side of the American West and sort of re-examine some of the mythology associated with it. But I'm enjoying it. And I think Kevin Costner, this is like, he is made for this role. Uh, so he play he plays the father of this big family and there's, you know, family saga involved, but, uh, it's not it's not action packed. It's sort of more slow moving and building, but um, I'm enjoying it. Okay, good recommendation, Julie. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to add one more um, TV show to our entertaining Sheila rec- entertaining sisters recommendations, and that is the show Atypical on Netflix. Okay. All right, Jill. I like shows that, well, I like shows about families. I'm always interested in shows that sort of portray like marriages in an interesting way and families in an interesting way that kind of go beyond the usual. And atypical centers around a family whose oldest son is on the autism spectrum. Okay. So we have a mother and a father, a sister, and then uh, the the brother with autism. But the, this is not a perfect family. This is not a perfect situation. They don't have tons of money to throw at the problem. They're doing the best they can. They have hits or misses. The cast is really great. Jennifer Jason Lee, who, you know, I'm glad to see her back. I'm glad to see her back on the screen. Michael Rappaport plays the dad and like perfect casting. The young actor that plays the brother on the spectrum is fantastic. All all the kids are really great in it. So if you liked Switched at Birth, which was about a family dealing with a deaf child and sort Uh of opened up your world to the deaf community, this is an interesting look at the autism world. I know a lot of you have kids who... I hadn't heard about that. Yeah, it's it's on Netflix. So you have to have Netflix, and they just released season two this week. But I I watched season one, and now I'm fully engaged in season two. I think they're doing some interesting stuff with it. So I wanted to mention that. And then I want to mention a podcast, a specific episode of a podcast that I just discovered. Alan Alda has a podcast called Clear and Vivid. And he talks mm. he talks about talking his his interest for the last 20 years has been communicating and how to communicate more effectively. He's done it specifically with science for many years through his foundation, but he's just interested in people connecting and listening. So that sounds like a good Satellite Sister recommendation, right? Yes, absolutely. And, this, and it's Alan Alda. Come it's on. Alan Alda, so it's wonderful. The podcast is called Clear and Vivid, but this week he speaks with Cheryl Strayed, and it's just, it's very uplifting. <laughs> It is. Okay. It's nice. It's nice people, decent people connecting and talking. I just found the episode so uplifting after such a a week of upheaval in many ways. So I just wanted to recommend that. If you just like a Satellite Sister Chaser podcast, you know, look up Alan Alda, Clear and Vivid, but particularly the episode with Cheryl, Cheryl Strayed. I think she talks about giving advice and what that's like to sort of dig deep into your own personal background to advise somebody else and what she learned from doing her advice column, Dear Sugar, and then they just she just stopped her advice podcast, Dear Sugars. But what she thought it was going to be and which was like, you know, snappy, smarmy advice. And then she realized, oh, people are reading writing me about really serious things and I have to kind of dig deep and this right. isn't really what I thought it was going to be at all. But it's just a wonderful, beautiful conversation. So I wanted okay. to... I wanted to recommend that. All right. We want to just let people know in the Hurricane Florence zone that we oh, are yeah. thinking of them. Boy, right. this sto- storm just came out of nowhere. And so uh, 
We have a little, uh, we have a section, we have a post on the Facebook group where you can check in. We've also asked people who've lived through Harvey and Katrina to pass on some information. So I was happy to see this morning people were, you know, exchanging ideas. Right. Some excellent suggestions. Right. Definitely heed the warnings. Definitely evacuate if, if you're asked to evacuate. And, you know, do I... We're thinking of all of our satellite sisters and their extended families that might be in the path of the storm. Yes, absolutely. So if you want to check in, you can go to our Facebook group. If you're not a member, we would love to have you. You can just ask to join and then answer a couple of questions. The group is specifically for people who listen to the podcast. We like to keep that kind of the uh, constraint on who's in the group. So if you listen to the podcast, if you're listening now, we would love to have you in the group. Uh, all right, Jewel, our to-do list. Okay, I got one. Uh, Leon, I am planning a girlfriend trip to Big Bend National Park in Texas. And it's a big place, Leon. And if any of our satellite sisters have any suggestions, tips, where to go, where to stay, where to eat, I'd love to hear them. You know, I have to be honest, I don't really see your group of friends as like a Big Bend (laughs) National Park. I mean, have you ever gone to a national park with your college friends? No, no, no. Lee. but it is, <laughs> okay. it's a big world out there. We're doing it. Okay. We're going to go to Marfa too. Okay? Oh, all right. We're going to okay. Marfa, that and seems then you to, go make to Big sense. Bend, okay? okay. I didn't know they were close. All, yeah. all right. I got They're it. not really close at all. That's one <laughs> oh. of the things that you realize when huh. you live in Texas. So. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, all right. Well, here's my to-do list. In three weeks, Julie, you're coming out. Uh, right. we're, we're having a birthday party for our sister, Sheila. It's an all hands on deck situation. We yeah. thought the, you, Julie, you, Liz and I thought we would use the opportunity to take some new photos because we literally haven't taken photos in 17 years of, of us together. Not for any reason, just it's hard to like organize a photo shoot. So we have a photo shoot happening. Here's the thing. I got a haircut Friday. It's a little short. I got to grow my hair out in three weeks. So <laughs> I just, it wouldn't be a big deal, but those publicity photos, like, they last forever, and they're up forever. I'm like, oh, darn it. It's, my hair is a little short. So, so I am you need just, some hair stimulation I, products whatever, or something? Whatever. I'm taking those ritual vitamins. I, I don't want to overtake the vitamins, but I'm taking them. I'm stimulating my scalp. I just I need a little more length for the, for the photos in three weeks. That's all I'm okay. saying. <laughs> all right. We would like to thank our sponsors for today's show. Thanks to Harry's and Care.com, Beachbody On Demand, and Framebridge. For more information on our sponsors, the, author, the offers, and the links, you can go to SatelliteSisters.com. We would like to thank Sergio Enriquez, who's our engineer. Happy that he's here today. So uh, next week, Liz will be back. Are you here next week, Joe? I'm here. I'm, I'm here. Yeah, I'm I'll here. be here. Yeah. You know, just to know, we have some special guests that we haven't even mentioned coming up in October and November. We're trying to get some special people on the show. We've secured some special people, and we will uh-huh. let you know when we can, right? we got some production plans here. Yeah, we do. we got big plans for the fall. So stay with us, people, okay? <laughs> yeah. Stay with us. All right, we're the Satellite Sisters. Jewel, have a great week. You too, Liam. And don't forget, call your Satellite Sisters. <laughs>